Hi and welcome to Stefan Levero Podcast, a show about Bitcoin. Today for episode 333, my guest is Corey Clipston. He is the CEO and co-founder of Swan Bitcoin. Now, Corey's been on the show before, but this time we're talking about building for Bitcoiners. And that's a range of things around Bitcoin advocacy as contrasted with crypto advocacy. It relates to Bitcoiner ventures, jobs, and various other aspects around teaching Bitcoin and building products and services that make things work easier for Bitcoiners. This show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Now, Swan Bitcoin is a great place to go and buy Bitcoin and also learn about Bitcoin, and Swan are bringing back gifting. So if you want to be able to give the gift of Bitcoin to your loved ones, you can go to swanbitcoin.com gifts. And that money will be sent to them. They will set up their Swan account and then they will purchase Bitcoin with that USD once they've signed up. So this is a great way to give that gift of Bitcoin and give them the gift of Swan's world-class education and customer service and support. So this is a great way to help onboard your friends and family and get them started on the journey of Bitcoin. That's swanbitcoin.com gift. Lend at HodlHodl is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform. This is Bitcoin DeFi, so you can lend or borrow stablecoins globally and anonymously using Bitcoin as collateral. So with Lend at HodlHodl, you now have that option of not selling your Bitcoin and still getting some short-term fiat liquidity. You can borrow stablecoins against your Bitcoin as collateral. You still control one key out of three throughout that entire deal. Now, on the other hand, if you hold stablecoins like USDT on the liquid blockchain, you can use that to earn some extra interest by lending out stablecoins and defining the terms and the APR for your deals. Go and sign up. The website is lend.hodlhodl.com. That's L-E-N-D dot H-O-D-L-H-O-D-L dot com. If you want to get started with Bitcoin mining, Compass Mining are making it easy to do this. If you're in the US, you can order a mining machine and have that shipped to your home and do home mining. If you wish, there's Compass at-home mining guides also to help out with this. On the other hand, if you don't want to host that miner at your home, you can use a facility. The facilities have been vetted by the team and they've got them all around the world. So you can select a facility, you can see the power rate that they offer and the estimated online date for that facility. So go and check them out there. They've got all sorts of guides and resources on their website as well. They've got podcasts and the Compass Mining newsletter, which is filled with informative articles and topics there. So go to compassmining.io. And now onto the show with Corey. Corey, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Stefan. It's great to be here. So, Corey, lots going on. Uh, there's been a lot of things. Uh, there's a lot of things we can chat about. Obviously, there's the world of VC and investment, and what's going on in the Bitcoin world, as well as the world Bitcoin is going to create. And of course, we've got to chat about what's going on at Swan. Uh, but I wanted to start with um, what's going on in the regulatory, legislative world, and the halls of power, as it were, because it seems to me like there's this whole crypto lobbying group and then there's like the bitcoin people and you've also been commenting on this quite a bit so i know you'll you'll have some interesting thoughts to share so what's your take there broadly what i want to make sure of in as much as i can influence things at all is that bitcoiners don't take for granted that crypto people have bitcoin and bitcoiners best interests in mind at all times sometimes their interests align lots of times they don't and I think we kind of saw that, you know, flare up a few times this year, just like obviously we saw this, you know, with crypto people sort of uh, having different views from Bitcoin people throughout <laughs> the history of, of the Bitcoin space. Uh, it's going to be that way when it comes to regulatory and you're going to see, you know, the kind of the regulatory version of I love Bitcoin, buy my shitcoin and a lot of uh, orange washing, as they as they say, you know, trying to wrap yourself in the Bitcoin flag while promoting your your altcoins or whatever. So you'll say like, well, you should be fine with us because, you know, we're just like Bitcoin in this way or something like that. Right. And, you know, I think it's just important that Bitcoiners separate themselves, which obviously some people have been doing a good job of that as saying like, you know, there's Bitcoin and there's crypto, there's Bitcoin and there's shitcoin or whatever. Uh, that goes for dealing with legislators and regulatory agencies, et cetera, in the United States as well. Where it's necessary to have a voice or where we choose that we should have a voice, I think it's important that there's actually Bitcoiners that, uh, that do that talking and that tease out the difference between, you know, lightning, for instance, or proof of work mining 
and some other thing that crypto people are trying to co-opt and sort of use for their own ends to keep their sort of uh, giant Ponzi thing going. Of course. And as you rightly pointed out, this has been a thing in the space around quote mark, quotation marks, I like Bitcoin, buy my shitcoin, right? And so I guess you don't necessarily have to name names, but I mean, what does that look like historically in the space? What, what kind of actions do those people tend to take and what kind of lines of argument do they tend to use? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to go too deep into the name calling and, and calling people out and things like that, because the fact is, like, in many cases, I actually believe that they think they're doing the right thing. It, this is some of the people that are actually like working in DC. And, you know, they've actually, on occasion, done very much the right thing for Bitcoin. But it's when it's when their interests have aligned with what was good for Bitcoin and Bitcoiners that they've done the right thing for Bitcoin. And you know, I think we see with, you know, all of the ESG narratives going out there and, you know, so it may not be like the VC fund or the specific lobbying organization that directly FUDs proof of work and promotes ESG friendly proof of stake or, you know, proof of something else that doesn't require energy and therefore is basically fiat. Uh, but they're funded by those people. And they're tied to those people and they're at their events and there's people on the advisory boards of these lobbying organizations, uh, you know, from those token projects, the non-Bitcoin stuff. And, you know, it's a bridge too far to think that there's not going to be some influence. And, you know, we've already seen, you know, deliberate attempts to try to tie Bitcoin in buckets with, uh, with crypto stuff for the purpose of legislation. And, you know, I just think it's really important to get out in front of that. You know, so I just, I refused to party down with the crypto people on the infrastructure bill last, last year. And I didn't want to, I wanted Bitcoiners to take up their own fight. And, you know, it seems like a lot of people were kind of spurred to action. And there's at least three or four new kind of lobbying efforts that are Bitcoin only, whether it's, you know, Sat Center. Uh, there's a couple other ones, um, for sure that are, that are out there and kind of getting going. Um, the one in Nashville and sat center is kind of a little bit more West coast, but it's national, obviously has a bunch of participants and, you know, I don't feel the need personally to get super involved. It's not my, not my thing. I haven't done any politics for 20 years, but, uh, I, I'm really glad that there are Bitcoiners leading the charge and, and making sure that the things that get written you know, have the input of real Bitcoiners. I see, yeah. Not just people that claim to talk for Bitcoiners. Of course, yeah. claim to speak for Bitcoin. Yeah, there's definitely a few parts in that. So it's this idea that sometimes, quote-unquote, crypto people see Bitcoin as, oh, see, Bitcoin is, you're just part of our broader industry and you little Bitcoin people need to play nicely with the altcoins because, you know, whatever, whatever reason. And to the point you were saying is that people have conflicted interests in some instances where yeah. maybe they've taken funds from a shitcoin vc or a shitcoin fund or something and now they are a little conflicted and then the other aspect mm -hmm. of it is that some of the shitcoins will have marketing budgets and they will market themselves by attacking bitcoin they'll say things like right. oh don't use you know we use less energy than bitcoin and so obviously that then takes a little bit of time to go and disentangle wait a second no there's a reason bitcoin uses energy and in fact that's part of bitcoin's strength that's part of bitcoin's yep. neutrality so i think that's perhaps part of the that's the challenge for bitcoin advocates and educators out there right yeah yeah i mean it's it's one of many challenges out there but i just think it's important to anyway i think we've we've yeah. beaten this one to death <laughs> sure sure yeah so i think yeah there's definitely that aspect of it and i think it's funny with like even with all the venture capital stuff in general like it seems to me like it's really going to change so much once we as the world hyper bitcoinizes now of course none of us have a crystal ball we don't know when it could be five years 10 years 15 years and so on and that's really going to change the world in so many different ways and i think it will really change the way we invest we act we save we spend all of this and actually you touched on this in uh your recent piece for Coindesk, it was The World Bitcoin Will Build. So for anyone who hasn't listened or hasn't read that one yet, can you just give a, give a bit of a sum summary there for people? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So it, the, the conceit was really, I wanted to present how I actually think of the future for purposes of, you know, planning my own career, 
my company's path and my own family's life and finances. <laughs> so just kind of, this is actually what I think is going to happen, like the most likely outcome. That doesn't mean that it's 99%. It doesn't even mean necessarily that it's over 50%. It just means I think this is the most likely outcome of if I were doing some kind of like Monte Carlo analysis, decision tree thing, like I think this is how it's probably going to go more than any other way. Um, and so we just took kind of, uh, you know, moments in time and, you know, taking a look at like where we thought we'd be in 2035 and then again, you know, kind of where we'd be in, in 2050. And, you know, we're, a lot of it's going to seem kind of familiar. So some of the fun is kind of in the details and kind of, you know, digging into some of the language and some of the specific examples that I threw in there. Um, so I do recommend reading it, but, um, you know, broadly I say like we're, we're obviously still kind of early in the development of Bitcoin as store of value, but after you get, uh, you know, a couple more cohorts, so people that came in in 2017 or 2018 and, you know, they've been in Bitcoin for eight or 10 years and maybe one more cohort. So uh, at that point, you know, let's say people that come in in 2023, 24, 25, once they've held for eight to 10 years, there's a good chance that lots of those people will have, you know, over 90% of their net worth in Bitcoin. And somewhere in there, somewhere in the, you know, two halving cycles after the 2017 cohort and that 2021-ish cohort, you know, I think there will be a lot of people around the world that want to spend Bitcoin. And you'll really start to see kind of medium of exchange reaching the level where we are kind of now with store of value. So Bitcoin will be really well established as a store of value and we'll be looking at it as a nascent medium of exchange you'll see a lot of people just demanding to pay for things in Bitcoin. And so an explosion of services from legacy companies that add Bitcoin services, much easier to achieve, you know, venture scale revenue profiles for startups in the next, you know, from five years from now into, into the next decade uh, for people working on medium of exchange. And so this kind of results in something that I've been saying a lot, but never actually put in an article, which is that I think, uh, after MOE, then you're going to have kind of prices on price tags for goods and services on the internet and in stores or whatever. You're going to have sats on those price tags in most places around the world uh, for most goods and services. And I think that'll be really exciting too. So basically, I sum it up by saying like, you know, by the year 2035, you'll be able to buy most goods and services around the world denominated in sats. It doesn't mean that will be the only price. There will probably still be a dollar price and maybe like another local currency or something like that. But you'll be able to pay for things in Bitcoin, you know, pretty much most places around the world by 2035. Right. And that's a, obviously a far cry from where we are today in 2021, where maybe you need to use some in-between way, like, say, bit refill, or you need to use or you need to basically sell some sats or borrow against it and that, et cetera. So I guess that, that that's that aspect of it and i really believe we're going to see big big shifts in just the way financial services operate right we will see potentially community banking and we might see obviously self-banking right set up your own node and your own keys all of that and it might be more like each family sets up their own node and things like that so that'll be it'll be interesting to see that whole gamut of options there that's out there so that's really interesting as well and i think the other part is just that broader shift and i mention this all the time is like that shift between debt and equity and i think i really do believe we're just we're going to be shifting a lot more into like an equity-based world and so what kind of ramifications do you think that has for say an investor i mean it's not going to change my world that much because i've been an early stage guy for so long in fact you know other than dabbling in some public equities here and there a long time ago you know, I've been focused exclusively on kind of angel investing at the seed A, maybe B round stage uh, for a decade now. So it's not going to change what I do much. I do think that there's just going to be this massive explosion of new things that we've never thought of before, you know, and that's what I'm really excited to see. You know, I'm excited to see, you know, value for value media explode. I'm excited to see, you know, messaging over lightning, almost anything that relates I, it's just so early, it's hard to conceive of, right? Because we just don't know what's going to be pop what's going to be practical and possible as the infrastructure gets better and, you know, people just build on top of pre-existing innovations and, you know, everybody benefits from all the stuff that's been going on for the last four or five years. Uh, it's going to be really exciting. I'm, I'm super bullish on getting in as early 
on as many of these things as possible. Uh, as you know, I mean, you're, you're my partner in Bitcoin or ventures and, you know, I wish we had more time to cut more checks, but at least we've gotten five deals done. Uh, and I'm looking at other stuff, you know, when I, when I have the time, which is not often, but, um, yeah, super bullish. I mean, we're obviously laser focused on, on onboarding people into Bitcoin with Swan, but, uh, you know, I have a background in payments long ago before getting into Bitcoin in my, in my like consulting private equity work. And, uh, you know, I, I'm super bullish on this stuff. It's just really, really early. These companies are really small. They have tiny revenue. You know, I don't think there's maybe any of them that are actually making money other than the ones like uh, that are working in uh, in like a probably bit refill and uh, and Paxful that are kind of have hit scale. But uh, there's been so many good, promising young entrepreneurs starting sort of let's call it like MOE businesses in the last couple of years, and uh, some of them are going to take off. You know, they're going to hit and they're going to be really big and they're going to be in a good position. And even when the legacy companies get around to it, they're never going to understand the advantages to building on Bitcoin and building on this monetary network the way that the native Bitcoin companies do. And a startup already has massive advantages over any project team or product team at a big company because those people just don't care not going to put in the hours. They're not going to be thinking about the problems on the weekends or like taking their kids for a stroll in the park. Only the people working on startups actually have that kind of creativity to do that sort of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really bullish on Bitcoin companies over the next decade. Right. And so for some of them, it may be that they take some time to, to fruition, maybe a few more years until the market size is big enough to actually make that a workable company. And some of them might be more infrastructure related or security related and things like that. So those are different ones out there. So any listeners out there, if you're interested, you can check it out. It's bitcoinaventures.com. And we've got a few telegram, we've got a telegram chat room as well for people to share ideas and get access to some of the companies that we've got. Yeah. I mean, just to put a little meat on the bone there. I mean, when we started in 2020, like the very first deal we did was probably the best known company that we've done a deal for. But because we only had like 50 to 70 LPs, we were like, you know, I was basically calling people and having to like rope people into it. And it took, you know, five or six weeks to do a check for like 200 grand or something uh, versus, you know, I think, you know, Galoy, we raised that entire round in like four hours uh, we just did a deal for a great Bitcoin startup. Uh, and it's just it's just getting easier and easier because we have, I think, 450 or 460 LPs now around the world on the AngelList syndicate. And other syndicates know us and we'll send people our way. Like if they didn't do the deal, they'll just, you know, send our deal to their people, that kind of thing. So it's just getting it's getting easier and easier. And I think it's really important to have, you know, there's so many benefits to having like 100 people around the world who are super fans of your product that now get to own a piece of it and tell their friends about it and, you know, join your alpha test group and your beta test group and all that kind of stuff. It's just a, it's a really nice ad. It's kind of the same pitch that you would get for crowdfunding, but it's better because these are like real Bitcoiners that are actually cutting like a decent sized check, not just buying your album or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really cool way to think of it. I mean, it's, yeah, we're seeing a popularization of that even with the likes of Kickstarter and things like that to fund a book project and things like this. But obviously this is, you're getting equity in a company here. So it's a different, obviously a different ball game here. Uh, and I'm also curious your thoughts as well, because uh, you, you came from that world as well. The question around getting access into some of these deals, like maybe historically Bitcoin companies were sort of crying out for capital. Do you think it'll reach a point where it's actually, it might be difficult to get into the deal because you, you know, you need to know someone or you need to have the right access? Yeah. I mean, it already is. I mean, there already are hot deals that people can't necessarily get into uh, if they're not paying close attention or don't know somebody. I mean, that that's that's how it happens. Some of these are happening really, really fast. And, you know, are getting like big chunks of the round taken down by one investor or something like that. So I think we're already kind of there. Two years ago, there wasn't a single Bitcoin only fund. You know, I think Folger has become Bitcoin only, but they were looking at other stuff a couple of years ago. And I think Elise at Stillmark maybe wasn't just super public, even if she was doing it already. Like, I don't think we were all kind of aware of her uh, efforts two years ago. So you know, when we started Bitcoin or Ventures, there wasn't a committed capital fund focused exclusively on Bitcoin. Now there's like 1031 
There's uh, the Bitcoin Venture Fund with Chris Calicott and Dustin Trammell and that team. Obviously, Elise has made a huge splash and is uh, like the queen of ass kicking on stage uh, when she talks about Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, I think there will be more Lightning Ventures, which is, you know, cutting, I think, working on committed capital, but doing syndicates right now, at least. Plan B Ventures with uh, with Han Hua is, uh, is a syndicate on AngelList that's been doing a bunch of deals and basically every good Bitcoin startup that's raised lately. So that's pretty cool. So, yeah, I mean, it's the future is bright. The future is orange and, uh, and we'll see more and more capital committed here. But, you know, the numbers are staggeringly small compared to, you know, crypto VC funding. You know, there's, you know, 21 billion deployed just this year for crypto stuff. And I think about 35 billion of LP capital across all these like Andreessen funds and, you know, whatever else is out there, Paradigm and all these guys. And that's, you know, that's who's sort of working with these lobbyists and drafting legislation and kind of doing all that stuff. So like they got a lot going on. Uh, and I, I, it depresses me sometimes to see that, you know, let's say 700 X multiple versus the Bitcoin only funds that probably have about $50 million of committed capital. But we have like the better product by far, the one that matters. We have way more, you know, diehard, diehard supporters and fans on team Bitcoin than all of the rest combined you know, by at least an order of magnitude, if not two orders of magnitude, like nobody's going to the mat and like dying for Solana or something, right? Nobody actually cares unless they're making money today, um, unlike Bitcoin. Uh, so it's good. And the other thing that uh, puts me at ease is that massive companies work with Bitcoin. And so you don't necessarily need the, the VC funding if it's really important to Square and it's really important to, you know, payments companies like Visa and MasterCard and, you know, investment banks that you know, have groups that see the light or whatever, like uh, Morgan Stanley supplying capital to NYDIG that they can then use for Bitcoin-backed loans at Unchained or something like that, right? Like that's that's something that's yeah. actually happening and is a big deal. So, yeah. And speaking of, NYDIG had a big one recently. I think it was $1 billion on a $7 billion valuation. So that's... Yeah, they just raised one on seven, which is amazing and huge. As exciting was this morning, uh, Ledin's announcement. Bitcoin mortgages. Like, Massive valuation, almost half a billion dollar valuation, I think, uh, or maybe slightly more than that. Like, was I sleeping on Leden? That's huge. It's amazing. Anyway, it was so funny. Uh, Mario gave me, texted me this morning or uh, DM'd me this morning and was like, what do you think about having, uh, you know, one of the Leden co-founders on Swan Signal Live? And I was like, sounds great. Like, just hit up Brady. So humble, so nice. Didn't send the link. I didn't find out about the fundraising for like four more hours. <laughs> and then I was like, Brady, yeah, just get those guys on immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I saw it as well. And I was like, okay, I need to I need to get them on, get one of the guys on to talk about, you know, Bitcoin mortgages and stuff. I, I, it's really interesting as well to see the, yeah, the growth in the space. And I mean, your comments as well around kind of the crypto world versus Bitcoin world. And, you know, it's, yeah, it is in some sense a bit, I guess, sad or unfortunate or weird that like people the world doesn't kind of see this yet but in fairness it's also i think a lot of the crypto stuff is really like really a lot of its leverage play and gambling sort of related things and you know what maybe for now that's more popular than just saving with bitcoin and of course in the future medium of exchange you know directly spending things etc but i really do think it will bear out over the long term and people will look back and think yeah you know what the Bitcoin only position was really essentially correct about a lot of these aspects of where the market was going to go. And okay, look, maybe fine. It, it depends if you count like stable coins and whatever as, you know, is that not Bitcoin only or whatever? But I, I think essentially the future is going to be Bitcoin only. And yeah, maybe some stable coins is kind of like a bridging aspect of it. I guess that's high level how I'm I'm seeing it. What What do you think? I mean, seems like nobody ever checks in a stable coin. It seems like once they're minted, like I've never seen the tether market cap go down. Does anybody ever cash in? Tether? <laughs> I don't know. And like, uh, what's the other one? Circles coin, USDC coin. Like it's, it's massive. It's like $40 billion now. Uh, I just did it myself. I added up. I only went down to like the top 50 just looking for the stable coins and, and then like the, the actual asset backed ones, not like uh, die or something like that. And it was, uh, it was $156 billion in the top five or six, uh, you know, kind of actual asset backed stable coins. 
pretty funny if uh, if the dollar flippened, if the crypto dollar like flippened ETH. <laughs> that would be cool to see. And I think it's just growing at a phenomenal pace, right? So I obviously would prefer the world just huddle Bitcoin and we all just go straight to Bitcoin. Well, Stefan, before you before you go further on this, I think it's actually a bullshit crypto fund and crypto founder narrative that the dollar is this medium, the crypto dollar is some medium of exchange thing, that stable coins are going to be this big MOE thing. It's not. It's just leverage trading. That's all it is. It's crypto traders. It's because they're fiat minded and their unit of account is dollars and they're going to use stable coins for all their trading activity. That's it. And DeFi is all run on dollars, but this has nothing to do like it's not like a bunch of people in Turkey are hoarding stable coins. They're not. Right. Yeah. Like they're getting dollars when they can, actual US dollars, or they're buying real estate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or Bitcoin. Actually, let's touch on that as well. I know you obviously, you know, you go spend some time in Turkey. Uh, your wife is Turkish. You obviously have Turkish friends and associates. And you were chatting a little bit about the inflation story there as well. Do you want to shed some light or give us a little bit of color on that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I occasionally tweet about it, you know, just because I sometimes have things that are relevant for a Bitcoin, Bitcoiner audience on Twitter that I know about or just hear stories from friends over there or whatever. But um, so, yeah, when I first went there in 2010, it was uh, I think it was 1.7 or 1.8 lira per dollar. It was 14.83 today uh, lira per dollar. And yesterday it was like 13.8. So I think this is the first time it's jumped like a full a full lira, you know, adding like 13.8 to 14.8 in a day. So it's pretty runaway. You know, it was it was sub 10 32 days ago. It was nine, you know, a month ago, a month and a couple of days ago. It was nine. And now it's, you know, 14, 14.8 or something. So we're watching it in front of our eyes and it's a really large economy. So certainly there's never been anything like this since the birth of Bitcoin. It's the number 17 economy. It's 80 million people. Istanbul is bigger than, you know, 115, just the city of Istanbul is bigger than 115 countries, you know, including like Portugal and Greece and Norway and like all these European countries, like Istanbul is bigger than that, just the one city. And, you know, they have every industry that you can imagine. Uh, you know, it's the the second largest exporter of TV entertainment behind Hollywood globally is Turkey, which is crazy behind the U S. Um, so it's, it's a lot of people. It's a lot of diverse stuff. I mean, shoot, like half the food products in Trader Joe's are from Turkey. <laughs> I think there just has always been like a nice connection between Germany and Turkey for trade reasons. And then I think Trader Joe's was, started by the son of one of the Aldi founders, which is a big German chain, if I recall. So maybe that's kind of the, the genesis of that back through the years. But uh, I mean, so these, these they've been through it before, but not this generation. You know, they, they had multiple, multiple of these in the 80s and 90s, at least three, I think, major devaluations. Um, you know, my... <laughs> When my wife used to go back to Turkey, she actually grew up uh, outside of Turkey for the most part, but she would go back in the summers and, you know, her mom would have to tell her whether to add like one zero versus last year or like three zeros versus the year before. And, you know, she was really buying gum for like, you know, millions of lira in the 90s and stuff like that. So she's seen it before, isn't really that phased by it. How they cope mostly is if you have any excess assets they do own a lot of gold in Turkey, but uh, they're also just like they store it in real estate um, in Turkey and, and outside of Turkey. And so, you know, I, I always make the joke like Turks are used to stacking flats. <laughs> so stacking sats is not a far cry for a Turk. They're used to stacking flats. Yeah, yeah, right. It's a really interesting perspective. And so, I mean, from what I've read and seen in, in high inflation scenarios, it, it becomes like hot potatoes, right? You That's like towards the later stages, people just try to spend straight away but before that people are looking at stock market property even art and gold and they tend to just try to buy those things and hold those to save themselves yeah they do they do and it, it just has so many other disruptions too you know so like i put a couple of these in a in a thread and i want to add to it as i come up with more examples where people send me things and kind of make it one of those threads 
So if you just search my handle and Turkey, there's five or six things in there. I'll keep adding to them as we watch this because it's this train is not going to reverse. It's going to be worse and worse. And, you know, I think we'll be at, you know, 50 lira per dollar in a few years if they're if it's still around, you know, unless it hyperinflates. But one example was uh, a friend of ours uh, worked for a Turkish company and uh, she was doing great. And it was like career track, blah, blah, blah. Inflation goes nuts. You know, they can't give her a raise to keep up with it. A European company steps in that's a competitor to the Turkish company. And, you know, it doesn't cost them anymore because their balance sheet is in euros. And, uh, and they just offer her, you know, the same salary they would have last year, but it's, you know, a 50, 60, 70% pay bump for her. So she jumps and the Turkish company is now disadvantaged and lose that skill, right? You know, we're actively poaching Turkish employees from spectacular companies when they're paid in lira and paying them in dollars. We've got, you know, one engineer and hoping to add another one here uh, soon. You know, it just, it makes sense. Like, that's just how the world works. So back to the show in a moment. My favorite Bitcoin hardware wallet is the cold card. So if you are still holding your coins on an exchange or a brokerage service, make sure you learn how to pull them off. You can use the cold card. It's easy to use in a single signature setup, and you can even use it as part of a multi-signature setup if you want to get more advanced. Now, you can use it very easily with wallets like Spectre Desktop, Sparrow, or Electrum. You can directly plug it if you're a beginner, or if you're intermediate or advanced, you can use a microSD card to move that information back and forward, whether that is the wallet XPUB info or whether that is a transaction that you want to move back and forth to sign using the cold card. The cold card can also be air-gapped and you can plug it directly to the wall. So go to coinkite.com, use the code Levera to order your cold card. Brains are a Bitcoin company through and through, and they are true pioneers in the Bitcoin mining industry. They are the creators and operators of Slushpool, which was the first Bitcoin mining pool. They've mined over 1.25 million Bitcoins. They also offer Brains OS Plus. This is firmware that you can run on your ASIC machine. And also, if you use Brains OS Plus and you point your hash rate to Slushpool, you actually get a 0% pool fee. And also, Brains are pushing forward adoption on Stratum V2. Now, this was done in conjunction and collaboration with Matt Corallo. This is a next-generation pooled mining protocol, and this will also improve the resilience of the Bitcoin network, as well as bring some security fixes. So Brains are a great company, and they've also got all sorts of material that you can learn from if you go to insights.brains.com. Now, their website is brains.com with two eyes. Back to the show with Corey. Yeah, the brain drain factor, and I think there are lessons for all of us anyway as Bitcoiners in looking at what happens in high inflation countries, because obviously we're Bitcoiners, we're very concerned about inflation, and so I think there are lessons to be learned out of looking at what goes on, and so that's important to see, and you might maybe eventually you start to see importers having problems, right, because now they used to be able to buy something denominated in US dollars, but obviously as the lira just keeps tanking, and their revenue, their income is in lira, well, now they're struggling to get their imports in, right? And so then people in the country now might be struggling to get the products and services that they normally are used to being able to get, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so then you try to control the inflation with price controls, which is like the road to tyranny. You blame the bankers and you try to like, you know, make sure that people can buy the submits, which is like the, you know, the daily pretzel or whatever. And you know, try to keep that at one lira or whatever it is so that people don't notice. But basically what happens by trying to keep these prices low, it's artificially low. And so Bulgarians have been driving across the border with like huge trucks and buying up everything. And now it's causing food shortages. Oh, sad. Yeah. Right. And then you've got um, basically almost every rental is rent controlled to some degree. So it might not be like, you know, 1% or whatever it is in, you know, certain pockets of New York where the millionaires live in two bedrooms and stuff. But, uh, you know, there's some degree of rent control on basically everything. And so you have people that just can't leave their apartment. They just can, they can't go because you can't afford the market rate because uh, they can charge the market rate when it's a new tenant. So people are just stuck. They can't change jobs. Like if they have a, you know, if they have a job offer on the European side and that commute is an hour and a half because they live on the Asian side, remember it's split half and half basically. And people, you know, try to minimize the number of times they have to drive across the bridge or hop on a ferry. You'd rather, if you can, live and work on the same side. 
you know, but you can't move. So now your, you know, your prospects are chopped in half because you can't move to the Asian side if there's a new job offer over there because you can't leave your house because you can't afford a new one over in Bada Jadesi or whatever the nice neighborhood is on the Asian side. Um, so it just starts causing all this friction, you know, and it just slows everything down and the capital allocation is all messed up and your life gets all messed up and you can't travel and other countries start to like mess with your passports because you just aren't like, as good a trading partner anymore. And, you know, little by little, the places that you can go and do things just starts to reduce. And you just, yeah, it's just, I mean, I've got a lot of Argentinian friends and have kind of watched that country, you know, my whole life for whatever reason. I just always been kind of aware of things that have happened there. But, um, you know, they haven't had a big one since, you know, kind of 20 years ago. It was kind of a blip, another one kind of after that, but not, not really since 01. And, you know, the Cyprus crisis was like such a tiny little country. So like we were all kind of aware of it, you know, but nothing like this, nothing like a top 20 economy with 80 million people. Yeah, it's uh, shocking to see and uh, definitely some lessons out there for Bitcoiners out there. And I think, uh, you know, I like to think a lot of the you know, savvy Bitcoiners are those who are learning about this and using Bitcoin, obviously, as an important tool to protect themselves and retain access to, say, products and services and or get freedom by getting out, let's say. I would say like just in case in case you are Turkish or have friends in Turkey, Turkey is one of the places where a lot of the intelligent class actually doesn't speak English. There are a lot of people that because it's such a big economy, they can they can choose to just speak like Turkish and German or Turkish and Arabic or just straight Turkish because you can have a really good career and not bother. But uh, you know, you need some Bitcoin and you need to be able to speak English. Like it is the international language of business and i think it's you know it's a good hedge it's a good hedge i wish that i had encouraged you know some of the friends and spouses of some of our network to go harder at it you know over the last 10 years because i foresaw that and i i've suggested it but i never like really beat the table for it and it would be so much easier for them to just like grab a company grab a job with a western company and work remotely and be making like you know dollars or pounds or something if they spoke english um, anyway, I think that's a really important thing if you're in a country, uh, or you're a citizen of a country that, you know, inflation is one of the possibilities over the next 10, 20 years, like just start now. Yeah. And, um, just bringing you back to, we were talking a little bit about leverage and people who, are, and perhaps that's what drove this recent drop. So there was a high, you know, futures open interest as an example. So potentially a lot of people were having hubris or starting to feel that sense of oh i can't go wrong i'm just going to lever up on bitcoin or one of the cryptos so to speak um, and so that's really a shift in the mindset or at least being a stacking bitcoiner versus the sort of crypto leverage type of person and so i think that that also bears out in what we see in some of the bitcoin platforms right so for example like swan as a platform what was uh, going on on the Swan platform at that time? What was the buy percentage? <laughs> oh, I mean, we're always like 99.99 or 100 because <laughs> you have to call <laughs> us or email us to be able to sell. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're, I think less than one in 10,000 trades uh, all time have been sells. So, yeah, that's that's a pretty easy metric. But, yeah, I mean, people stack the dip crazy hard. You know, it's it's been really good business. Bitcoiners know a good deal when they see it. Obviously, most of our users have a uh, a DCA plan where they're kind of automatically stacking every day, week, or month. But you know, you can also smash by, and you know, it turns out a lot of these people aren't all in. It turns out that they actually <laughs> do have some fiat on the sideline for for buying dips. Um, so, yeah, it, it's interesting. We do really well when the price is down. That falls off if the price goes sideways for a long time after going down. We prefer it to like go down and then back up again <laughs> yeah. uh, for, for our volume. But um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I certainly feel fortunate to have come into a little liquidity myself and being able to pick up some Bitcoin, you know, sub 50K. It's crazy that that feels really cheap now, by the way. Like, oh my God, it's less than $50,000 of Bitcoin. It's super cheap. Oh my gosh. That's you know, a couple of years ago, that would sound pretty ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I am also, I think there are times where you see family and friends who get caught up into this idea of trading. And I think that's such a 
99.9% of people will fail at this or maybe maybe 99 percent, but still it's just insane how many people and i think it's it's like this human psychology thing where they just think oh i can trade this thing i can make money out of it and it's just like for some people they they can lose a lot of money if they're really not careful and because they they come into it with this idea of a trading mindset that they're going to try to dance in and out rather than just humbly stacking uh so that's something i've seen and i think it is something to make sure we're also we're talking about that when we're you know teaching people yeah, I mean, one of the ways uh, I've had a lot of success with this framing uh, this year, which is um, you s- like whoever you're talking to, it's like, let's assume that you've gotten to the place where they kind of like they'd like to have more Bitcoin and they're thinking about using trading to get there. And it's like, well, trading is a profession, right? It's something that people can be really bad at or they can be really, really good at. And people are really good at it work at it really really hard for a long period of time like they you get good at trading there's there's science to that there's a science and an art to being a really really good trader and traders that have been trading for 15 or 20 years are much much better than people who have been trading for 15 or 20 months right and so if this is going to be your vocation your profession fine cool but if all you want is more bitcoin then you shouldn't just pick the thing that's like right adjacent to Bitcoin. You should look at the universe of ways that you could make money and think about, you know, what's actually sustainable and what are you likely to be good at? Because most people are not going to be good at trading. Like that's, that's just a fact. And it's not even necessarily that you, you don't even have to say like, oh, you couldn't be good at trading. It's like, you're probably not going to stick with it for 10 or 20 years to get really good at trading. Like, I'm friends with a lot of these guys that are good at trading because it was like my professional and social circle in Chicago. The last time there was getting this good was like the options trading boom when options went online and were open to retail and the people that really knew what they were doing were, you know, were just doing it with black boxes and they would make fun of click traders. A click trader is someone that actually uses their hand to click a mouse. Like a good trader would never actually be a click trader. They make fun of those people. And a lot of those people are now in, in crypto and they're running the desks at Jump and Cumberland. Most of these firms, you know, are either in Chicago or have huge offices there or they're in New York and it's a bunch of ex-hedge fund guys, you know, and they're people that know what they've doing, they're doing because they've been doing it, you know, for 20 years and they have incredible machines and AI scientists and ML people and they're setting up algorithms and they're ripping your face off and like... If you don't know any of what I'm talking about right now and you aren't friends with those people, like you're the mark. (laughs) So I just think people are just like incredibly naive going into it and thinking that it's going to work out for them. And it's almost a curse if they win a little bit early on because it could just like ruin you for the next five years or the next decade because you're just looking for that hot streak again. You know, there's almost nobody gambling in Vegas that uh, didn't win a lot in their first year yeah right that's an interesting way to put it because sometimes because right. yeah. if you lose a lot you get turned off you just leave straight away you got a bad taste in the mouth okay i'm done with that never doing that again but if you win a little bit you sort of think oh maybe i was just getting unlucky those times i lost and actually i'm this is fun yeah yeah right yeah i think i've so. got a system i've got a system i know i i can beat the craps table. i can beat the craps <laughs> table i've got a system and the thing is so there's this whole industry spawning around it of you know, people teaching you how to trade and the exchanges who kind of encourage, oh, hey, let me show you how to do a leverage trade. And, oh, look at this. You can do a stop loss here and you can do... And people get it into their mind, even if they're not a professional, right? That they're not they're not doing arbitrage across exchanges using some kind of automated system. They're not, you know, using some kind of sophisticated approach or maybe they're not they're not being a market maker who charges a spread and that's your that's your professional trading reason that you're doing trading and there's like a, an actual business model around it it's just people who are just kind of looking at random crayon drawings on from some influencer on twitter and thinking oh look see it's going to go up i'm going to go long now or whatever and then people just get wrecked but hey i guess some people just have to learn the hard way yeah i mean this, it's so funny though like i I don't even come across this particular conversation that much anymore. I really don't. I just, I think that, you know, maybe it's just because my own efforts and brand have just, you know, encircled myself with people that 
aren't about trading. Um, and I think, you know, Swan through our, you know, the megaphone that we've built is just catching enough people and getting enough people to come to us who, who really see it as long, see Bitcoin as a long-term savings technology. And so the conversation is just like basically about how much to buy. Yeah. That's really the one. I mean, you've been on a lot of these calls, like mostly people are just trying to figure out, you know, how much of their portfolio to allocate to Bitcoin. And they're kind of just looking for reinsurance that the government can't ban it tomorrow. And, you know, some of the some of the usual FUD busting stuff that you just got to go through. But, you know, it's yeah, I mean, I'm not really having this conversation much anymore unless I go on a crypto YouTube show and spread (laughs) the word behind enemy lines, which I love to do. Uh, shout out Altcoin Daily and Crypto Windio. Went, went on both of those shows in the last couple of weeks, and it's it's actually quite fun. Like they're they're nice people trying to make a living, or whatever. And you know you can still come with your Bitcoin message, and and then the most fun is like uh, I mean they get insane number of views and comments on their YouTube, right? Because all these crypto kitties are just like on YouTube all day and uh, just going and you know, showing up because I doubt the other interview subjects actually show up in the comments and I'll go through and answer questions and do retorts and, you know, tell them that, you know, ADA is fake and <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's it's cool. Kind of fun. That's great. I mean, and certainly I agree with you. A lot of the people who are, you've spent time teaching, they don't kind of go into this whole, oh, do, can I be a trader and stuff? But there are maybe people who are more on the periphery or people who are just coming in and they sort of see this stuff or you might have, you know, things like that. But I want to switch it now to chatting a little bit more like a macro stuff and what's going on in the world with uh, obviously the Fed. There's been some talk about potentially, you know, tapering off the asset purchases and, you know, but there's always this argument of are they just jawbirding? Are they just trying to say they're going to raise the rates, but then really they might not? Uh, do you have any thoughts on what, what's happening with the Fed there? Well, I mean, Jay told us today that the economy is fine, so we're good to go. Um, and so they can they can stop the Fed can stop buying all the bonds and uh, and they can raise rates three times next year. So that's good. I'm glad we solved the crisis. This is fantastic. <laughs> all clear skies from here. They got it under control. So uh, yeah, all hail. It's great. But no, I mean, yeah, this is we're, we're recording on the 15th of December and, um, you know, the, the meeting was today and there were some comments and stuff like that. And that was the message that was relayed was, you know, going to try to raise rates three times next year. I can't imagine that it would go any better than last time, really. Like, I, it's probably some massive choke up either before or right after the first one. You know, that, that would be like kind of my base case, the plurality of outcomes in your in your possible scenarios would probably point towards something like that and not being able to get through three hikes. Um, but who knows, man? I don't know. I mean, it's all short-term stuff anyway. In the long term, dollars in the toilet already and it's about to go down the drain completely. And, uh, you know, Bitcoin's awesome. So For sure, yeah. I have I've, it's easier. It's much easier to be just sort of sanguine about this stuff. I think about it a lot more in terms of like roadmap for, you know, Swan and portfolio companies that I have like in and outside of Bitcoin uh, and just kind of charting a path for like when things will be hot and making sure you load up on, you know, cash for your next couple of years of operations, you know, when markets are hot and things like that. So, you know, I guess um, this this incredibly overheated equities market of 2021 has been, you know, incredible for all stock investors, basically, uh, especially in tech. And then it's been great for Bitcoin companies too. Like, you know, we've, we've benefited for sure. Um, from there being like lots of cash around the world's awash in liquidity. (laughs) I'm going to try to describe a visual meme here that I saw on Twitter yesterday or the day before. And it was, uh, it was one of those things where like somebody's explaining something to somebody else. It was just a two panel one. And it was like, uh, so how does trickle down work? Well, first of all, you print all the money and you give it to the 1%. <laughs> and then there's like a blank panel and they're like, and, and then the person's like, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> this is the world today. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. You just print the money and you give it to the 1% and they're good to go. So yeah, I mean, it's just inflating these asset prices like freaking crazy, you know? So I'll give an example. Uh, so I used to work with a lot of uh, software as a service companies uh, post Google before getting into Bitcoin. And um, 
it was very typical to do deals at like uh, somewhere between like a six and maybe a 10x revenue multiple would be kind of like where you'd anchor and then you'd say, oh, but our growth rate's higher and our team's amazing. Or they'd, you know, hammer back at you and say like, well, that's a first time founder and you guys only grew, you know, 2x over the last year and, you know, keep you down towards six or something like that. It's very typical right now to do a SaaS deal at 100 times revenue. Insane. And it's only six years later where I'm getting this like, you know, six to 10x kind of range that was like 2015, 2016. And it's very typical now that it's like 100x. So you can go be like a half a billion dollar company listed on NASDAQ, getting out through a SPAC or something with like five to $10 million of revenue. Yeah, it's kind of crazy when you really put it in those terms. Hey, and so it just shows how far we've gone in terms of the uh, the system and where it's going with the money. And I, I just, to me, it just comes back to the government is not going to be able to make its payments if they let the interest rates go up. They're just going to have to keep the rates low. And that's that's probably the most important, most salient factor in this analysis. And so they may bluff that they're going to, or maybe they even do a rate rise, but they won't be able to sustain. And that's, I guess that's how I'm seeing it. And so obviously that's obviously bullish for anyone who's a Bitcoiner. You're hodling and you're looking for that long term. So I wanted to, yeah, go on. Yeah, I mean, even let's say they did do three hikes. And so you added 75 basis points to the Fed funds rate. Like it's still damn near an all-time low from the last 5,000 years, right? So it's one of those things where they're like, you know, like it's like a store increasing the price by 30 bucks and then, you know, discounting it 15% the next day. And, you know, that's what they've done. Like they, they dropped it below the historic low and now they're going to bring it up to the historic low it's only higher than the last year basically yeah even that is just a crazy level it's just trying to fake a society having low time preference when really it doesn't so that's obviously going to cause problems for the world uh but you know so be it also wanted to chat a little bit about what's going on with swan i thought it was interesting as well with the recent launch swan Mm -hmm. gifts and it really Brought it back full circle for me, and that's how we, you know, we full first circle. started. Right? That's how we met. Uh, started. This all started yeah. as Give Bitcoin. So yeah, yeah, it was it was GiveBitcoin.io was the original product, and we were just trying to figure out how to do things at the intersection of of Bitcoin education and selling Bitcoin or getting people getting Bitcoin in more people's hands, but making sure they understood what they own. And so yeah, that first product was was gifting, and we ran that for holidays of 19 all of 20 through the holidays of 20 and swan you know been taking off basically all of 2020 and we made the decision to focus the whole team on just swan for the whole year of 2021 but in the background we still had like the code and the know-how to do gifting and uh and then we built like another little piece of technology for one of our one of our integrations with a partner um, about three or four months ago, and we realized that that actually enabled a really slick way to do gifting inside of Swan. Um, so yeah, the team just did a little sprint, and we got live, I think, yesterday and relaunched it in time for some, if you got some last minute shopping to do and you don't want to go fight the crowds, uh, you can uh, just use Gift Bitcoin. It's very easy. Um, it's, it's a good product for the US. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, pro- I wouldn't bother with the gifting product. Uh, probably outside of the U.S. You can certainly use Swan outside the U.S. to buy Bitcoin for yourself. I think the gifting is a better experience just in the U.S. right now. Um, we'll see if we can do something better for uh, for y'all internationals. That's it. Yeah, it was, it was just interesting for me as well because that was how, um, you know, I think that was when you and I first met, it was under this kind of idea of give Bitcoin, you know, and so it was. It just kind of came back yeah. and Really cool to see that. So it was it was day one of the Bitcoin conference 2019 in San Francisco. And I met you, Jan and Parker at the exact same time, with, like within three minutes of each other, either right before or right after I presented the idea on the, uh, the peer-to-peer stage. And uh, I just, I can't believe that I met all three of you guys like right away and ended up working with two of you. And of course, you know, being an investor and advisor to Unchained and having like an actual relationship with Parker instead of just admiring him from afar. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's cool how it came full circle as well. And um, also uh, the Swan Advisor Services recently launched as well. I think that's an interesting one as well because it's like people in the advisor world 
sometimes might struggle to kind of do the Bitcoin thing just because of the way the structures and the ways things are. So it's almost like you have to create a structure for them to be able to talk about Bitcoin with their clients as well, right? Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways that you can just be kind of an extended member of the team for an RAA, which is uh, in the US, a registered investment advisor or an FA, which is a financial advisor, very similar. And they have all kinds of dashboards and reporting requirements and, you know, portfolio rotations. And so you kind of have to like listen to what they need and get to know them. And so we were doing this for like five months, maybe six months, like building the product, you know, interviewing people and doing it like a software company would, uh, interviewing FAs and like figuring out like what we need to build and stuff. And uh, meanwhile, we were putting together our board of directors, which uh, Lynn Alden is on the board and the uh, along with Jan and I. And the fourth member was supposed to be Andy Edstrom. And uh, he's, you know, former Goldman guy. He's been running Westcap Financial. He is a, a money manager out in L.A. He wrote the book Why Buy Bitcoin, which is, you know, probably the best book. It's the only book by a financial advisor for that audience. And it is a really good book. Uh, anyway, so we were like about to have our first board meeting and Andy hit me up and he was like, so I think I'd rather join full time and just run Swan Advisor Services. And I was like, okay, when can you start? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, now, now like there's no requirements gathering. He just tells our team exactly what to build. Like he knows, he knows it all cold. He knows all the, all the vendors, all the, all the partners, all the hooks that you need. And, um, you know, so that, that's a much bigger bet for us. We have a bunch of, you know, partners and owners of RIAs on the Swan cap table um, that have like a few hundred billion dollars under management across them. So it's like, we've got a lot of good, you know, sort of alpha and beta customers to test this with and to get into it. But there's a hundred trillion dollars of assets under management just with RIAs in the United States. So it's a huge pile of cash. You know, if we can go out and tackle that and get, you know, half a percent of that or something like that. Like it's, it's big, big money. It's, it's a big deal for Bitcoin and there's nobody else doing it. Bitcoin only, you know, there's other platforms out there in crypto. They all sit on top of Gemini and they all, you know, have a mixed message, you know, just like the crypto exchanges. They're, they're there just to like buy whatever the advisor wants. And we want to be there for the advisors that are orange pilled uh, or that have orange pilled clients you know, but still need to deal with their financial advisor. And we're just going to get really well known in that community. Andy has a big platform, you know, he writes in CoinDesk twice a month and goes on tons of people's shows and he'll do a lot more of that. You know, I, I can speak this language pretty well. And, you know, I used to work in private client services for, uh, for Morgan Stanley a long time ago. Um, you know, Terrence Yang, who a lot of people have gotten to know through Clubhouse and Spaces, you know, that guy's a, you know, former MD at, Morgan Stanley and Merrill Lynch, and he's a Harvard lawyer. Like this dude speaks to these people, you know, the way they want to be spoken to. So, I'm really bullish on that. You know, I think it's I think it's important. Yeah, it's a it's it's a whole other you know category, and we need to be out there trying to be involved in as many different um, areas that we can. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can I just say like honestly, like we've got plenty of bandwidth to talk to people. If you are a money manager or you're someone that works with a money manager and you want to talk about this, like you can straight up email me. Like C O R Y at swanbitcoin.com. Email me. We'll have a chat. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'll introduce you to Andy. We'll get it on. Let's do this. So Yeah. And I think we don't know all of you. You're not all on Twitter, yeah. like, you know, Jeff Ross and a few others are obviously active and you know, we know some of you guys, but a lot of you are probably not tweeting all day. You're probably busy. Yeah, for sure. But uh, you probably do listen to Stefan. <laughs> but I mean, look, and there might be listeners out there, maybe if you've got friends and family who are RIAs and you want to get them on to kind of the Bitcoin only message, because remember with Swan and the Bitcoin only message, they're, they're going to really learn about Bitcoin, right? Instead of, yeah. I think where if you go for the crypto platforms, You'll get this kind of message of, oh, see, all the coins are just like equities and you just need to diversify across the coins. Like that's kind of more like their view of it. Whereas if you come to a Bitcoin specialist platform, it's no, it's Bitcoin only. Bitcoin is the message. Bitcoin is the answer. So I think that's an important distinguishing factor. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you'll never understand any of this stuff unless you actually understand Bitcoin deeply. So I prefer that you stay with Bitcoin forever, but a minimum get started with Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Yeah. 
and yeah, I guess, is there any other Swan stuff you wanted to touch on or um, maybe some of the other community projects and things? If you've got anything else you wanted to mention? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's always a good idea to plug uh, Bitcoin or jobs. I, I think that has been a resounding success, you know, what, probably six months in or I don't even, maybe it's not even that long, might be four or five months in. But, um, you know, this was just uh, kind of on a whim just fortuitous. I, I had just been getting so many people asking me for help finding jobs in Bitcoin and then obviously having a piece of a bunch of companies and they always have hiring needs. And I started spending a lot of my time like trying to match candidates with companies and, and helping people. You know, I have a problem saying no to things. Um, except for yet shitcoin. I'm, I'm good at that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I just, I like to help people when I can. And uh, and a VC randomly introduced me to uh a founder had a company that made it like a lot easier to stand up like a vertical focused um, job board than anything that I'd seen before. And you could just pay a SAS fee for it. Um, so I did it and uh, posted on Twitter looking for somebody to help me with it. Uh, found Nathan over in the UK who was game and jumped right in and he's a beast and he actually comes so he can code a bit, he can write a bit, he can design a bit. And he comes from like the HR people management world. So it's like, Oh my God. So we started doing this just like on the side, just like asynchronously coordinating on Telegram and trying to get people to, you know, post their jobs there. And it just took off and he was just such a good dude. Like we couldn't not hire him. So convinced him to come over and join Swan full time. And it made sense to, you know, fold the effort um, into Swan. But, uh, you know, it's free. Unlike, you know, companies paying 700 bucks a month for uh, pomps, shitcoin jobs or whatever. Um you know, this is this is a Bitcoiner community resource, and you know anybody that you would think is a competitor, Swan. That's not how we think about it. You know, Team Bitcoin for the win. Like, I help, you know, help all these companies. We feature. You know, it doesn't matter. I don't care if it's you know Strike, Level, River, Casa, Unchained, Galoy. Like, all these companies are posting there. Big companies are posting there now too, which is pretty sweet. And I think it'll keep expanding. Uh, we have profiles on there now too. So even if you're like in a non and you want to post your profile, you can do that and you can get contacted like through the platform. So there's, it's kind of two-sided now. You can post uh, like a job seeker profile as well. Um, so really excited about that. Everything else that's coming, there's a lot. Like there are a lot of things that we have coming out for Bitcoiners. I think Swan is kind of turning into a little bit of like you know, a Bitcoiner focused company, even more than a Bitcoin company. Um, it's just kind of our, our nature and what we find interesting and what we like to do. Like we like to hang out with Bitcoiners. That's why we hire all Bitcoiners and all of our people around the world go to as many meetups and conferences as they can and kick it on Twitter and Clubhouse and Spaces and Discord and Telegram with Bitcoiners all day, every day. And uh, it just lets us be very close to the community and listen to like what people want and what they need. And because we have a really good team of builders on the product and engineering and design side that can put things together. And then we have like enough of a megaphone to spark something and enough of a network to get people to try things. I think that was kind of what happened with jobs. And I think it's going to happen with uh, three or four more products that we'll be rolling out over the next three or four months. So uh, stay tuned for lots more on that sort of like uh, Bitcoiner projects from Swan. Yeah, I think that's really interesting for listeners out there who are maybe struggling in your fiat job, you're feeling like it's a bit soul-sucking. Well, take a look, bitcoinerjobs.co. You might genuinely find a job that, even if it's like a slight pay cut, you might think, you know what, it's worth it for me and my own mental state to be able to work and chat and really just really uh, feel that interaction in that connection of working in a bitcoin company which is really good and the companies there are very strongly bitcoin uh focused bitcoin principled so you'll find a lot of opportunities there um so cory probably time to wrap up there so if you've got anything else um any other thoughts for people as uh you know maybe a good one would be you know there might be listeners out there who are sort of weathering the weathering the storm or feeling the drop what's do you have any thoughts for them on um you know, stealing themselves for the longer term with Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, honestly, I find that when the price is going up, I feel like I have to stay current on everything. And so when I was in my learning phase, you know, so like 2017 through like 2020 and, you know, I, I, I was devouring podcasts, but what I would find myself doing 
when the price was like down or sideways or whatever is I would take more time to go to the back catalog because I didn't need to stay right on top of like everything that was going on right now. There's something about a price pump when Twitter is really noisy and like everything's super exciting on the podcast. And so you always are kind of like trying to stay abreast of everything in the now. And when the price is down or sideways, uh, I think it's just, it, it's fun to like dive into the Nakamoto Institute or, you know, I, I started a newsletter a couple of months ago uh, called the Daily Bitcoiner, where the whole point is resurfacing really good oldies, but goodies, you know, so we'll find, you know, stuff from like 2011, 2014, old YouTube videos and podcasts that, uh, that have stood the test of time and, and kind of resurfaced those. So I think that one's a pretty cool one. Uh, Corey.substack.com. Here come Corey was taken, but, um, <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> but, uh, thanks Greg F you. But, uh, yeah, so I think that's, that's probably one of the things that was a little different. I would try to like pick up books and stuff. So like, if you haven't read digital gold from 2014, like read that it's awesome. If you haven't read, you know, I'm trying to think of like, like, you know, the block size wars, which uh, BitMEX research put out, uh, about 10 months ago, like pick that up. Um, you know, Obviously, like, like imagine we were all tweeting all of Parker's articles as they came out when he did, you know, 15 or 16 in a row in like less than a year. But like, there's probably people that got into Bitcoin in 2021 that don't even know that exists, you know? So like, look up, you know, gradually then suddenly Parker's series and read all 16 of them. There's probably people that like only know about VJ's book and never read the original article. You know, I think that's kind of interesting or, you know, just go and like search a podcast app for somebody that you that you enjoy and then go back and listen to the things that they talked about. Because, you know, like a, like a first album, a lot of times somebody's, you know, first couple appearances is when they get you get, you know, their life story and kind of like the insights that they've built up from their whole life. And then after that, you know, most of the podcast hosts have had these people on and they don't want to retell the same story. And so all you're getting is this person's comments on like the new stuff. But what you really want is like the first time that safety went on Stefan's show, you know, something like that. Or you want like the first time that Brandon Quidham ever went on, on McCormick or something like that. So try to go find, you know, the first one or two shows that your favorite Bitcoiner was ever on, because that's when you're going to really like get to know them as people a little better. Anyway, that's kind of some media consumption tips in as much as they work for me yeah no i think that's really interesting and it's a great point that a lot of the new people coming in might not have you know seen the same material and of course it's just the way it has to be but um that's certainly an important point for them um so yeah so listeners make sure you follow Corey. um Corey, where can they find you online i like twitter more than i should it's awesome i love twitter uh <laughs> so Corey clipston on twitter uh you can also find me in any of about 48 bitcoin related telegram groups uh i think i already gave my email address so that's out there but yeah you, you actually can email me for anything that you think is is relevant for swan uh it's cory at swanbitcoin.com c-o-r-y so that's probably enough to get you started oh i'm also like uh much more active on linkedin lately so find me there i'm trying to post every day about bitcoin so if you're like me and you're like a, a gen xer and you want to hang out on the Gen X network with me on LinkedIn, uh, come say hi. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks again for joining me, Corey. Yeah, thank you, Stefan. It's great. Get the show notes at stefanlevera.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels.